From old school to new, from analytics to your gut feeling, and from nuance to a blistering hot take, Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice present to you Political Football. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Political Football. I'm Matty Ice. Dave is going to join me momentarily. We are without Cleve this week. Uh, week four, I think, right? Week four in the NFL was pretty good. See, Cleve's got me all messed up. Um, you know, it was a pretty good week. However, uh, we do have a little bit of business to take care of because we have some fan bases who are very excited. So I'm going to start the show a little bit differently than I normally do, and that is with song. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. today. That's right. That's right. Old Blue Eyes is singing about New York, New York. That's right, New York. You had something happen that has never happened before, or at least it feels like it's been about forever since that happened. Uh, the Giants and Jets won on the same day, and for the first time in NFL history, both in overtime. So, Dave, how are you? Uh, I thought for sure we were playing that control the Yankees. <laughs> Actually, it was not because I have to admit, um, playoff baseball used to be fun, but the games take about six hours and I'm almost 40. I don't have time to stay up for, for this kind of thing anymore. So even though I'd love to say that baseball is still something that intrigues me, uh, I would much rather spend that time watching Red Zone. It just is. So I'm not trolling the Yankees. I was actually going to use this song the whole week because you know what? The Giants and Jets need something and... Uh, they sorely got it this week, and you have to give them their props. Give them it for at least one week. Yeah, no, they uh, both won, both won in overtime for the first time ever. I was just really hoping that the Yankees would win yesterday, just so that like it was all good for New York and all bad for Boston, just for a complete epic meltdown. Like I wanted to go all one way or the other, but no, the New York teams. Uh, I tell you what, they're doing a lot better than the Jacksonville team. I'm not sad about that. Um, but either way, I think that um yeah you're right like it's okay I i'm actually okay from a boston perspective uh, i've long come to grips with how the success you know what the success means and you know from this show it's been well documented that i am not your typical boston fan um i did check in at halftime with my my stepmother and she was happier than shit i have not talked to her since i'll take that as a sign that she's still pissed um she was one of the people that what would have been booing brady and it's weird i have to almost have like a clandestine relationship with my father uh from away from her when it comes to tom brady like i have to call him when she's not home to say like hey I'm happy for Tom. How about you? And he has to like look both ways to make sure she's not going to come popping in before he can say something nice about him. I mean, that's just that's that's so strange to me. I remember in Detroit when Sergey Fedorov left to go join the Anaheim Ducks. A lot of people in Detroit, like half the city, was really mad at Sergey and whatever. And then like the other half of us were like, "What are you doing? That's ridiculous." Stanley Cups, the whole the whole bit. And in the twenty years almost 20 years since then Detroit's completely like turned into like uh we don't care as long as you tried like did your best while you were here so it's just weird to me that somebody who won six Super Bowls could ever be disliked by by the fan base I I don't get it either I, honestly um I think it's really what fans have turned into nowadays like I, I I don't know maybe it's just New England but they don't do this with other people right and I was talking with my wife about it during the game 
and we'll get to the breakdown in, in a minute but i was like you know what makes this scenario so unique is the fact that brady was so successful and with the team for so long like the coach and, and quarterback were together for so long and in today's market with free agency guys are constantly moving to other teams and you know they play th their former team so often it doesn't mean anything but you know like peyton manning when he played the colts it was more an emotional moment because the colts got rid of him because of his injury history and they did the hardest thing which is getting rid of the aging star quarterback and you know it's just as hard to do and there was a different feel to the Peyton thing but I don't know I think if Tom Brady had played for New England for seven years and came back who knows how it would have felt but it's just all the narrative around uh, it was the most hyped regular season game the most unnecessarily hyped regular season game I've ever seen ever yeah no and we'll get to the actual game itself uh in the breakdown a little bit later but i didn't quite understand the insane hype for it like it was cool but i didn't understand why there was all the insane insane hype for it but i'm gonna get into the breakdown because i have got to talk about the first game Let's which is jags 21 at the Bengals 24 and that's a lie i don't want to talk about the game i want to talk about urban meyer i can, fucking hate that guy can you sort of break down what happened with him over the weekend or do you want me to do it no i can do it um I, i'm very well versed in this at this point because i've watched it over and over again so urban meyer <laughs> uh cost his team another game because he sucks at coaching the jaguars actually looked decent for a half i have to say this they look decent for a half and they can't finish so of course they lose the game and they lose it in excruciating fashion and i have to give them some credit they've looked better at least each week uh he comes on the the press conference and talks about how devastated he is slamming his hand on the uh on the podium and the next day dave sends us a tweet which is a man that looks conspicuously like urban meyer with a fairly attractive woman grinding her ass on his crotch somewhere um turns out that is not urban meyer's wife i actually know what she looked like but i just assumed that it wasn't and urban meyer decided to apparently let his team travel back to jacksonville he went to columbus ohio of all places well of course he went to columbus that's obviously not of all places so he goes back there apparently he owns a restaurant there and stayed back to quote visit his grandkids and they went out to dinner and he stayed afterward and apparently was quote dragged onto the dance floor um and stayed back and had a good time uh, needless to say it has been a firestorm of questions it has been a firestorm of bullshit apologies and it's basically who urban meyer is and of all people to throw him under the bus i thought it was great that paul feinbaum who i'm not a huge fan of said i'm not even outraged because this is just who he is there's a couple things to note about this story it's interesting that he loses the game to uh, Cincinnati and then doesn't go back with the team to Florida. He goes a little bit north up to Columbus, right? So he goes back to his old college town. Not his college town, but you know what I mean. In the video, he's wearing an Ohio State pullover, mm -hmm. which it like that's like I can't feel bad for Urban Meyer, but if I if he was somebody I could have sympathy for, I would like he, what he must be going through to want to go back to Columbus and throw on the pullover and go to his restaurant that is his name on it. But the problem is is that the woman in the video is definitely not his wife because she didn't have devil horns coming out of her head uh like shelly meyer i presume has because she's fucking awful too um but this is definitely like a co-ed at ohio state which puts her between like 18 and 22 and urban meyer is 57 so like nobody's really talking about this aspect of it but that is extremely creepy 
and his you know we always thought that he was lenient with zach smith who was constantly beating his wife and whatever because he wanted to win football games but i think given this and just his general assholeness i think they just really got along and had a lot in common with one another i mean i don't think urban's urban's right now here beating shelly meyer i don't think she put up with that but like just being general creepy assholes like i think that's why they they had each other's back and they got along so well i don't think you're wrong about that um and the the, my my big issue with urban meyer and i'm gonna say this out front that obviously i'm very biased against the man but it's because the evidence that has mounted against him as a human being has dictated that for me and i don't know how you feel about it dave i think you feel similarly like we're not talking about the coach urban meyer we're talking about the human being here and it's just incident after incident after incident that proves to me that he is a morally corrupt man and that's putting it lightly and this situation uh was another incident and the funny part is the apology comes out and he i just was like so you're visiting your grandkids you're not traveling with your like are you visiting your grandkids like this just seems all very 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 strange to me and it feels like a bullshit apology it feels just like he looking down like somebody from pr wrote him what you know his statement was which is probably what happened i mean that's what happens pretty commonly so i can't fault him for that but none of it feels genuine and i think you're right i i don't think that he he did turn a blind eye to things because i think that he's somebody who is just as morally corrupt in that way and so they did have that in common and it's not like he he won't beat his wife but he's certainly willing to to sell himself out morally in other ways and i think that you're right that there is a correlation between those two individuals so yeah so that's really i mean just my my thoughts on the situation here while we wait more follow-up from it i think that he's going to get fired pretty quickly um which by the way if that was his plan do something stupid get fired get your jacksonville money and take the usc job that would be phenomenal but i don't think that he's that type of evil like i don't think that's quite how he works but let me ask you something before we get into the actual game like if you're usc do you care more about bringing the program back to prominence and bringing a guy like that in knowing that he has this following him like something like this is going to happen while he's there yeah i don't think usc cares too much to to be honest i don't think that uh the the issue i think the the bigger issue for usc is not the co-ed on his lap which it probably should be it's the like why aren't you flying back to florida with your team are you committed to coaching might be might be more of the concern but i don't think that i don't think usc cares i think there's only a, there's a small number of schools that would care in this in this situation so i mean this probably isn't the first time that a coach hasn't immediately gone back to their home state after a loss but i think the the difference here is normally the entire team stays and this is such a different thing because it's like yeah you guys go ahead i'm gonna stay back here and it does give you the essence that he doesn't care as much and clearly he's not handling all this losing very well and you know what tough because that's what you're getting you're getting paid a lot of money to coach professionals now this is not playing in the big 10 it's just not it's not even playing alabama every week this is playing legitimate professionals everybody is mostly at the same talent level and he has one of the least talented and experienced rosters in the nfl so there's there's one last thing to talk to touch on about this which is in his like apology excuse tour he tried to throw trevor lawrence under the bus by saying like oh i even told trevor before his uh bachelor party in vegas to be careful because he wants to stay out of you know avoiding any troubling situations and it's like two things one keep trevor's name out your mouth you don't deserve to, to speak about him two trevor lawrence is 21 going to las vegas 
in the offseason, and he actually hadn't been technically drafted yet. So, like, yeah. that's the thing. If Trevor Lawrence wants to go to Las Vegas and grind on 18 to 21-year-olds, he can go ahead and do that. Mrs. Lawrence might not like it, but he can go ahead and do that. 57-year-old Urban Meyer should not be going back to his college town in a pullover at his restaurant grinding co-eds when he's supposed to be like on a team going back to Jacksonville trying to figure out how not to lose football games. So it just once again shows the just just how much of a scumbag this guy is that he's going to take the most important person in the organization and try to like liken himself to them to try to gain some sympathy or something. I hate Urban Meyer. Well, I'll tell you what, Shad Khan knows who the most important asset uh, on the team is, and it's not Urban Meyer. Like, and Shad yeah. Khan probably has a bunch of questionable decisions in his past. I'm probably certain that he was a Trump donor, not once, but twice. But even he has to know that the optics of this are, cannot be allowed. Yeah, also, it's just a good excuse because it's not working. So it's just a great oh, yeah. excuse to cut to cut Urban Meyer loose. Uh, so quickly on the game itself, I mean, I do want to say about the Bengals since they did since they did win the game that uh, because they were losing, they weren't able to just try to run the ball like they've been doing for some reason. So they had to actually let Joe Burrow throw the ball. And he goes 25 of 32 for 348 yards, two touchdowns and no picks without uh, T Higgins. So like, yeah, throw he the ball under, under duress the whole game, though. Like that first half, he was on the run quite a bit. And Jacksonville's pass rush, I would think, is not, you know, formidable, at least comparative to the rest of the league. But um, I, I do worry a little bit about the Bengals with that because I think they have a lot of talent. But if man, Burrow was running for his life in that first half. And thankfully, they overcame that to, to win the second half. It was definitely a big win for the Bengals. They could not afford to lose to Jacksonville. But yeah, three and one, you have to start asking, are the Bengals at least average you know like are they for real not average but you know like i don't think they're gonna make the playoffs but um you know three and one is definitely the start that i think they were hoping for given uh having burrow back in year two and you know jamar chase who has played phenomenal i think yeah i don't think the Bengals are gonna make the playoffs either i mean there are there are definitely paths for them but they're they're gonna be in trouble against teams that are definitely better than them so I think just being able to beat the teams that are worse than them consistently is a great step up for them this season. I can't wait for them to sweep the Steelers too, by the way. <laughs> well, that's why I said beat the teams that are definitely worse than them. The next game here, we have the Titans 24, the Jets 27 in overtime. This game was nuts. First of all, because the Jets won, which always makes something uh, unique, unique and different. But the Tennessee Titans ran 100 plays in this game. For comparison, average is like 70, 72. So 100 plays in a game is a lot. And they scored 24 points on 100 plays against the Jets. Without Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Right. So like they don't, so they lose their top two receivers and they become worse than the Jets. That's not a good team. Nope. You know, yeah, you would, you would like to think that uh, you could lose your top two receivers and still on a hundred plays, put up points against the Jets. This was still a, a big struggle for Zach Wilson in this game. He did not play super great, but he did make some huge plays and you can see why he was drafted where he was. It's like the, the hope is to string these big plays together over time and start eliminating the mistakes. And so you can sort of see some progress towards what they're looking for in this game. And then Jamison Crowder was back from injury and that made a huge, a huge difference for them in this game. Jamison Crowder feels like he's been in the league for 20 years. I don't know. Is that me? Yeah, it's been like seven. 
it feels like it's been a lot longer than that but i have to ask fundamentally about zach wilson i agree the the big splash plays are there and i think that's what uh, allured the jets to him because he obviously did a lot of that at byu how much of his development do you think has to do with like they he just needs to start doing the little things that differentiate a quarterback in the nfl right like those short to intermediate passes uh, knowing when to check down right looking at those options I feel like I have seen a lot of him trying to press and get that big play because it worked a lot of times at BYU. But in the NFL, those are those are fewer and far between. And a lot of what makes a quarterback successful is being able to do the easy, quote, easy stuff better and then use that skill set when the field opens up for it. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's an accurate an accurate statement. The main thing, though, for Zach Wilson and for the Jets in general, is that they knew that he would have to work through this sort of stuff when they drafted him, right? If they wanted a quarterback that didn't have to learn how to do the basic things, they would have drafted Mac Jones. Yeah. Right. So they sort of knew that this would have to that this would be the case. And so I think that they are trying to work towards that. And this game was finally a demonstration of that. And how awful is the Tennessee defense? I mean, 27 points in overtime game is not a ton of points, but like it's the Jets. Just shut them down. Well, they can't. The Tennessee defense is terrible. If you asked me at the beginning of the season what a perfect scenario would be for the Jets to get their first win, it would have been against an AFC South team and not the Jaguars. So this was like literally the perfect example. Oh, man, I, I was so stoked. Like as it was happening, I thought, please, please let the Jets first win and possibly only win be against the Tennessee <laughs> Titans, right? And this this begs the question. We talked about the offense in the offseason after they added Julio Jones and that Julio Jones was a compliment to Derrick Henry, who, by the way, ran his ass off in this game because they were going to hand it to him like a billion times because they didn't have any other options. And Tannehill still looked good even without his best options. But this team is severely limited even at full strength, right? Like this, this game, if they lose anybody of significance for a significant amount of time, especially right before the playoffs, they were already probably going to lose in the first round, but it's going to be no contest, right? Yeah, no, this team has zero depth whatsoever. AJ Brown is fantastic. Derrick Henry is fantastic. And you said that uh, you talk about Derrick Henry. I don't think we gave him the ball enough because he had 33 carries, but they ran 100 plays. True. <laughs> he probably needed 50 carries for him to win this game. How many catches did he have? Because I did see them throw it to him uh, pretty often even still. So I think touches-wise, he probably had a, a decent amount, right? He you only know? had he only had three or four catches in this game. Jeremy McNichols had eight. So okay. running backs caught a lot of passes in this game. But yeah. Henry only had a couple more. But yeah, I think and if you, if you are the Titans – with no A.J. Brown and no Julio Jones, Derrick Henry needs to touch the ball in half the place, even if it's 100 uh, plays. Does a game like this tell us that Tannehill is legitimately good? I know we've said that he is, but, like, he is legitimately good, right? Like, those years with Adam Gase could have been so much better. Yes, he is good. He's not great. He's not fantastic. But he's he's good. He is – so I, I think Derek Carr is the most average quarterback in the league. And Ryan Tannehill is better than Derek Carr. Therefore, yeah, he's good. Ryan Tannehill would make the Steelers a playoff team, would he not? Yes, probably. I mean, certainly be more more in contention. It's a tough division. I don't know if the, I don't know if Tannehill makes the Steelers better than the Ravens and the Browns, which makes it an uphill climb. But they would certainly have a chance. I just mean he's a significant upgrade from current washed Ben Roethlisberger. Well, yeah, but so is Zach Wilson. I mean, that's not that's not saying much. Ben Roethlisberger might be bottom three starting quarterback in the league right now. Uh, that's true. Which we will which we will get to. Yeah. Um, 
the next game here, we come off of Cleve's good news with the Jets winning to my beloved Detroit Lions 14 at the Bears 24 in a game that was not that close, nor was it ever close. The Bears were winning this game from the start and never looked back. Um, just real quick, uh, TJ, uh, uh, TJ Hawkinson, four catches for 42 yards. So it's clear Dan Campbell does not listen to the show, probably because he can't understand what I'm saying. Uh, it's just a little over his head. So, man, I fucking hate this staff. But Justin Fields, 11 of 17, 209 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, but he was throwing dimes all over this field. Uh, he had an A dot of 14, which means the average depth of target, how far down the fields are the receivers when the ball gets to them. Um, passing plays, 14 yards down the field. Bill Lazor took over play calling for the Bears, and they were like, all right, Justin, go throw it down the field. And he was connected on it. David Montgomery ran for a couple touchdowns, got hurt, though, so he's out four to five weeks. Damian Williams will become the starting running back for the Bears. Now, Matt, who is now the new backup running back for the Bears? I have no idea. That would be Khalil Herbert. Oh, right, from Virginia Tech. I Absolutely. That. That's yep, right. go Hokies. He was a so he's gonna be, Yeah, he's going to be getting some carries next week as the backup to Damian Williams. But yeah, this game, like the final score looked close and whatever. It wasn't close at all. If the Bears needed to, they could have put 42 up in this game. I hate the Lions. Isn't it amazing what you do when you protect a guy properly? Look at what happened to Justin Fields. They protected him properly, and he had a good game. And look at how efficient, too. 11 to 17 for 200 yards. Like... Yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, yeah. I just felt like this is how you coach around a guy like this. But I have to say, um, it, it, is this closer to what the Lions should be looking like all season? Have they a little bit overplayed in the first few games, and now all of a sudden their talent is just not going to be able to keep up and be plucky like this? So in the first game, they get destroyed by the 49ers and then have like a wild comeback. The second game, they get blown up by the Packers. The third game, they lose on a last-second field goal to the Ravens, but that's because Hollywood Brown dropped three touchdowns in the first half. That should have been a 21-point loss as well. And then here, I don't think the Lions have looked that good all season at all, to be honest. They had a really good second half against the 49ers. That's the only good football that they've played all season. So, yeah, this is this is sort of what they are. This is why they're in contention for the number one overall pick. I don't think they're going to get it. I think they will be. They will be top five. But they could have had Justin Fields and been on their way and said, "Now we're looking at delaying the the rebuild yet yet another year." Because Jared Goff certainly isn't it. But I can't. I can't bring myself to rant as much about this week as last week because it's not like Justin Fields kicked a sixty-six yard field goal, right? It was a ridiculous. The Lions lose football games. I mean, that's what happens. Just to put it into perspective for the listeners, for Cleve to hit on his bet, the Lions have to go seven and six from here on out. Yes, a man. And he had them opening like six and one or something, right? When we went through the schedule. He did. And you said that the 49ers are going to hand blast them. And theoretically, they did. Uh, yes. But we went, I remember we went through the schedule. He hit seven wins, I think, nine or 10 games in. And you're like, well, that means the Lions are going to win 14 games this year. <laughs> I mean, to, for the Lions to open the season seven and two, like in the infinite multiverse, there's like three universes where this happens. And they still miss the playoffs in all of them because they're the Lions. I know I have no idea what he was thinking, but I appreciate the free the free personal personal training session. Also, though, Clemson squeaks by another week with another weak win, but they have what three or four wins now. So I think yeah. you're going to win that bet too. Yeah, Clemson has three wins, so they, I've already won that bet too. Because because yeah, I... ties push and the Lions aren't going to win five. Now the next game. 
yeah, 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 yeah. Just all the exercise I needed. Um, the next game here, we have the Colts 27 at the Dolphins 17. And even though this game was on red zone, I don't remember anything about it. Me like neither. I remember, I remember Brissett being awful and Jonathan Taylor looks pretty good, but like, I don't remember a single thing that actually happened in the game. This to me is a data point for the Raiders, not for the Colts because the Raiders got this Dolphin team at home and looked bad. And the Colts who are probably better than the Raiders, but still have been kind of hurting and haven't looked very good. Uh, just they did what they had to do against this team. That That's just the way I took it is that this is more indicative of the Raiders than it is the Colts. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing I took away from that, I think that's right. I think the thing I took away from this game is that every game that he misses, the case for Tua grows stronger. Like, yes, Brissett is not is not going to be the answer. And it's clear, like, how much better Tua is than Jacoby Brissett, which I think a lot of people realize that. And Cleve's not here to defend himself. But I think even he at this point would admit that, like, they're much better off going with Tua than they are going with Jacoby Brissett. I think so. I said when we were looking at the preview that at least as far as backup situations were concerned, that Brissett was probably a better backup than some of the others in the league if you were to lose Tua for a short amount of time. But I never in my wildest dreams would have said the Dolphins would be good with him the whole season. They're not going to have to most likely, but they have not looked really good without him. Let's put it that way. I mean, you can't get much worse than the way this offense has looked. You just can't. And I, I listened back to last week's show and laughed when I pointed out that he had 32 completions for like no touchdowns for, for set. And it's like, that's not going to do anything for you. No, no, they are. They'd honestly be better off running out like a Josh Rosen or somebody who is young, but we haven't seen what they can do yet than, than this. Um, other than this game, Carson Wentz is just a game manager. That's yeah. it. He, he's and maybe he'll be good at it like maybe he's just fancy brad johnson but uh that's that's about all that he is and also will fuller broke his finger in this game he's out four to five weeks for the dolphins so now that jacoby Brissett can throw the ball downfield anyways but there goes one less one less target for it the game manager role for wentz only works if you have good players around him and they don't have enough good great skill position players to do what a guy like brad johnson did or a defense uh to lean on that a guy like brad johnson did so i then this team's in trouble. I mean, we knew that coming in, but they, they're in trouble because don't they have the Ravens coming up? Yes. Monday yes. night, I think. Monday night, yes. Blowout. <laughs> this is going to be a – oh, is that game in Baltimore? Yes. All right, political football road trip. Oh, God, it's going to be so <laughs> bad. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'll be a Ravens fan for a night if it means the AFC South looks worse again. Oh, see, that should be the bet. Which you hate if they show up as a Colts fan. I'll do it. Well, oh, could I, actually, I would. That, that would be a loss. Like, if I lose a bet to somebody, I have to be an AFC South fan for a day. But what would be worse, a Colts fan or a Titans fan? Or would I have to be a Jags fan and root for Urban Meyer for a week? No, it'd be worse to be a Colts fan because the Titans, you can at least get a Derrick Henry stiff arm or something and have something fun to watch. Good point. Excellent point. But yeah, I, no, nothing of note to take from this game. Neither of these teams are going to be in it at the end. It, no. with their with their current makeup yeah i mean the dolphins could get to a back and mess something up for somebody else later in the season but at one and three that's that, a that, that's tough i mean i mean okay so they're one and three the Bengals are three and one which team finishes with a better record the Bengals or the dolphins man i don't even know because again afc north i mean the Bengals still have to play their stiffest competition twice right. each but it doesn't it doesn't matter as long as you think it's close because what we're saying now is that we think the Dolphins and the Bengals are going to have a similar record, which means it's not good. 
No, it's not. Right. Yep. Uh, so the next game here, we have the Browns 14 and the Vikings 7. This game was terrible. But this game was terrible because of Baker Mayfield. And I, man, I, you know, I, I really wish Tua had gone for like 405 and then Baker had this game, even though I believe in Baker Mayfield as well. But he left 133 air yards and two touchdowns to Odell Beckham Jr., who was wide open on like four different passes that Baker missed. This game should have been 31-7 to Cleveland. And instead it was close and a drag because Baker was so bad. But the thing is, is that Cleveland played a terrible game on the road against a good team and still managed to win. That's a huge win for Cleveland. That defense is legit. Very, very legit. Yes. I Did you see the play where Miles Garrett basically picked up the tackle and just ran him back into Kirk Cousins? I did. Mike Zimmer doesn't know what to do with that. Like Mike no. Zimmer looks like uh, you know a guy who's asleep with a candle, you know, with a, a sleeping hat on and a candle that he's going through the house. So like he looks like that guy. He he can't handle this. But uh, I mean, the Vikings have a lot of talent. Da- Dalvin Cook was back, and they remember they looked so good against Seattle the week prior. And man, they stunk. But I didn't bring this up last week about the Browns because I wasn't sure if it's a trend, but I am a little bit concerned about them offensively. They do not look like they are on all cylinders offensively, especially in the passing game. And even Nick Chubb, like you had Nick Chubb as, uh, you know, the best pure runner in the league, but, and he's doing a great job. I'm not saying that he's not, but I think that they're looking for so much more production offensively like they did last year. And if they continue to look this way, they are so not going to beat the Chiefs or the Bills. I think that they can beat the Chiefs or the Bills as they are as they are currently, but it would be it would be very difficult. It have to be because of great because of great defense. Uh, one thing to note: Delvin did not play in the second half of this game. Okay, so he came back for the first half, went out again. The Vikings get the Lions this week, so they should sit him this week. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is a test of like because Mike Zimmer's like right on the borderline of like sharp and donkey. He's like he's like the Derek Carr coaches. So this will be a great data point. Like, does he realize he doesn't need Dalvin Cook against the Lions with Madison and just roll with Madison or not? So that'll be interesting uh, for next week. You know, I just, the Browns offense, they, man, how to put this? They, they're capable of doing almost everything and they have good players at almost every position. And to me, it feels like they don't know exactly what it is that they want to do. Like they want to run the ball, but they want to get to Odell and they want to feature Baker and they have Kareem Hunt. I just it like we assume that they were going to be a run first defense team, but they haven't been playing like that. I think they just need to. I mean, I never really advise people to be run first teams unless you're in very rare circumstances, but they need to just pick what it is that they want to do and then do it. Either throw the ball 50 times or run the ball 50 times. But with your great defense, just pick away on offense and just play, do one style really well, lean on your defense and win a bunch of games. The thing that they have that other teams don't is they have two great running backs with two different skill sets that they can leverage off of so that if they want it to be a run first team, remember a lot of teams in the league now or the Patriots are doing this for a while where it was like that first and 10 throw to the running back where he gets like seven or eight yards that was basically like a run play type of a thing and they have the ability to do that they can either just pound nick nick chubb which sounds so inappropriate um you know right 
because he is the pure runner. He's that guy. And then Kareem Hunt obviously can run, but he is so great in the passing game and has so many skills. I mean, they have a lot of weapons, and you're right. There's something that just hasn't felt right about it. And maybe that's what you're hitting on, is they don't know what their identity is, which is strange because they did last year. And when they played to an identity, they were very successful. And how are they missing that this year when it's the same coaching staff, mostly the same players, except for Odell, but like, I don't know. It's just, it is a very strange thing, and it, it's early. It's four games in, and they're three and one. Uh, their defense looks excellent, so I think if they do figure it out, they will be a force to be reckoned with. But I'm saying if they don't have an identity and they try to face the Chiefs or the Bills, who I think do and execute that pretty well, uh, it, it is going to be a really really tough climb, especially on the road. Well, I think adding Odell back this year, you know, it makes a big difference. Because Olo Beckham is still a fantastic wide receiver that they didn't have last year. And so right. now they're like, oh, we have this new element. We have this new thing that we can do. And they're trying to work it in. And they're trying to figure out how it fits in with giving the ball to Chubb 80 times and stuff like that. And I think they're going to figure it out. And they're 3-1. and one. And like I said, this they played – this is like a bottom 20 percentile performance from them. And they still won a game on the road against a decent team. So, yeah, yeah that's a good that's a good win. Now – the next game is the football team 34 at the Falcons 30. This game was wild. I mean, first of all, it made no sense from the Atlanta side. They scored 30 points. Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, Mike Davis do absolutely nothing. Cordero Patterson with three touchdowns out of nowhere, just completely out of the blue. Not kick returns, just he got half his touches out of the backfield, half at wide receiver. Insane in like year 11 or whatever it is for him to be coming on, coming on and doing this. But the important thing is for the football team here, Terry McLaurin is an absolute star. Six catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns. And he's always open, always. Yeah. Like he, he's he's never covered. And when he is covered, he just gets the ball anyways. It's unbelievable. Taylor Heineke goes 23 of 33, 290 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and then five carries for 43 yards for him from the quarterback position as well. Just Atlanta's so bad. Atlanta is bad, but I have to ask, with this defensive performance by Washington again against a pretty bad team, um, is this are we getting closer to this defense being average? Yeah, this is the first time Atlanta's looked pretty decent on offense all season. And to have it come against the Washington football team is is not great for them. I want one more data point, though, before I'm ready to declare it. Instead of it just being like a bad four, bad four weeks mm-hmm. or something like that. Because like it's so easy to be like to start making declarations after four weeks. But remember, like last year, the Cowboys didn't have Dak all season, and it was terrible. And he got hurt in the in this upcoming week. It was week five. Yeah. So like we had played all this point of the season last year with Dak, and nobody would make declarations that early then. So I don't want to declare about the Washington Football Team defense quite yet, but the evidence we're getting is starting to erase my priors pretty quickly. <laughs> one more, and it's it's official. I'll be honest with you. I think they should roll with Heineke rest of the year. I know that they're probably going to put Fitz back in because that's what they got him for. But I don't know. I just feel like they should roll with the guy. I mean, he's looked pretty good. And if that if that defense is average, I don't think it really matters. And I don't know how you feel about it. But he's it was a comeback. I mean, they had to come back in this game. And when I stepped out of the room and had to do some things, I thought that Atlanta had the game in hand. And they ended up losing the game, which is a testament to how bad they are. But I don't know. Doesn't it seem like a fair thing to just, hey, put Heineke in there and and see what you got? Because they're going to have to start over at some point because Fitz is only a one-year stopgap. I mean, he's 38, for God's sakes. 
yeah, I think it makes sense to just play Heineke and see what you have and see if he's actually the quarterback for the future because then you don't have to worry about trying to address it. Well, it's like you said about Josh Rosen, which I still don't understand. Like that, talk about another thirty for thirty. Uh, a guy who is never going to get his chance, but basically never played either. Uh, at least roll with Heineke because hey, if you end up stumbling on something that's at least uh, you know above average, like above Derek Carr, you got something to work with. Especially if that defense can put some things together and start playing the way that we know that they can play. And I don't know. That's just the way that I see it. The division is the Cowboys and everybody else. And if you have a chance to at least stay uh, with the Cowboys with wins like this, do it. Because you make the playoffs and anything can happen. So Evan Silva from Establish the Run made a point about the football team defense. And he pointed out that their coordinator is Jack Del Rio. And he said, quote, Del Rio's just a boomer that puts his guys out there and expects them to make plays. And he's, God, he's been in the league forever. Yeah, I mean, he was a linebacker when I was a kid. I guess when we were kids, we're the same age. Um, the But I think that's true. Like, I don't, when I watch the football team defense, I'm nowhere near as knowledgeable about defensive play as I'm offensive play. But when I watch the defense, it doesn't look like they're like, like there's a strategy. It literally doesn't look like it's like, okay, everybody go win your individual one on one matchup because you're all really good. And that's what we're going to do. And yeah, I, I would think that a more talented and creative defensive coordinator could get a lot more out of this defense than Boomer Jack Del Rio. And Jack Del Rio looks like Shooter McGavin if Shooter McGavin was a biker, because uh, that's just the way I think of it. But, you know, this Washington defense looks to me uh, in optics. I don't necessarily mean statistically, but they look very similar to the Cowboys defense last year. The Cowboys defense could never get on the same page. Communication issues... They didn't really have a game plan, so to speak, and a lot of people chalked it up to the lack of a true offseason last year. But you're right, though. I think that is an astute point. This defense looks like a bunch of individuals making plays and not a cohesive unit. And what makes a good defense a good defense is a cohesive unit where everybody is doing their part in whatever scheme it is they're running. And Jack Del Rio has been in the league long enough, and he's been a coordinator long enough that how, how does he not have some semblance of a game plan with all of the talent that he has on his team? Well, I think I think that from his point of view, that would be the game plan, right? We just win every single matchup or majority of matchups and disrupt the offense, and and that'll be that. But you're right; you want to have a good cohesive unit moving in the same direction, and that every so often Aaron Donald just absorbs three blockers, and now now you're off and running, right? Or off and stopping in this case. So, yes. you know that is yeah. There's something going on there, and I don't think it's to do with the players. Like Chase Young isn't bad you know out of nowhere there's there's something going on there and knowing that now knowing that it's jack del real as the coordinator it's probably to do with him i mean just playing the odds he used to be the jags coach right so that uh, that tells you everything yes um next game here we have the Texans zero and the bills 40 and ugh, i mean the weather in this game was pretty bad so that and so you have bad weather and you're down 21 nothing almost immediately if you're if you're uh, Houston. So Davis Mills has to throw the ball. He, he goes 11 to 21 for 87 yards, zero touchdowns and four picks. Yeah. Davis Mills had negative four points in our fantasy league. Negative. Yes. Four. Yeah. Negative, negative points. You'd have been better off playing Chase Daniel. And taking <laughs> yes. <the> zero. <laughs> well, thankfully nobody in their right mind would start Davis Mills. If you, if you're listening and you had to start him this week, Godspeed. Cause your team is in trouble. Well, the thing is if you're playing super flex, you may have been in a position where you needed to start Davis Mills, depending on who you had. But 
Uh, yeah, not not good. Actually, but better off playing Mitch Trubisky, who scored a touchdown in this game. Oh, I, I love that, too. That was for Cleve. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so Davis Mills, 87 yards, no touchdowns, four picks. I feel like he is what Cleve wants to would it be. Yeah, I think I think he looked awful. But you know what? It wasn't just him. The whole team looked awful. They look like the Texans. Like, this is the Texans now. If they're not going to have Tyrod, like, they still would have lost this game. But it would not have been 40 to nothing with Tyrod as quarterback. But they still would have lost the game. And, man, it sucks for them because they got Tyrod. Davis Mills they drafted. He's definitely not it, at least not with this talent that's on the team. And you know what's funny about that? His neck is so long that he can see the whole defense. So I don't understand how he only has 87 yards passing. Well, because he gets a throw to Brandon Cooks and literally nothing but dust balls after that. Uh, but this told me that the Bills, oh man, the Bills have figured some stuff out because Jesus, they have looked so good the last three games. So I think what, what I'm seeing as I look around the league in these four weeks in total is that I think most teams, once every four games, are just going to play a terrible game. I mean, unless they're terrible and they play bad every week like the Lions. But like every four weeks, each team is going to play at least one bad game. And sometimes they win it and sometimes they lose it, right? Arizona got lucky. They played their bad game against Jacksonville and they won. The Browns played a bad game against Minnesota and they won. The Bills played a bad game against Pittsburgh and they managed to lose. But it's the same it's the same thing. Like the Cardinals are four and oh, the Bills are three and one, and the Bills are better. Like mm-hmm. right. So I'm not I don't even think they had like figure anything out after the Pittsburgh game. I think they just sort of played bad. And I think that's gonna happen every so often. I think so too. But this Bills defense, wow. Uh they have looked really they even look good in the Pittsburgh game. I mean, if you think about it, it's a block punt that really separated that game. Um no. but Jesus, if they are gonna be uh, like this if this is the bills ceiling whew, that that chiefs bills game coming up could be a a whopper yeah no the bills are i mean it, it's the bills and chiefs leading the pack in the afc with the winner of the afc north in, in third place but definitely third place i have to say even though they're in the afc east i'm genuinely excited for the bills for some reason because it's a franchise that got labeled as losers because of their four super bowl losses which by the way if you make a super bowl four years in a row that's an accomplishment i understand losing sucks but still and they've been basically a laughing stock since then right nobody's really taking them seriously and nobody took josh allen seriously and cleve was in right in front of that train saying that josh allen was terrible these guys get no playing time and you know what's awesome about the Bills right now is they're doing it without needing Stephon Diggs to have like a ridiculous year. Like Josh Allen is throwing it to everybody. So Josh Allen, by all objective measures, was not a very good prospect coming out of college. Uh, he did have size and athleticism for sure, but all of the production metrics and stuff like that that you want to see from a player, especially coming from Wyoming, where like the competition's not that stiff, it, right. it, it wasn't good. Like he he would be he would be the easy one to predict to be to be a bust for sure. And I was not super hyped up about about him either, but that's he shows why it's a good idea to chase 90th percentile outcomes right so if you compare josh allen as a prospect to like say um, mac jones as a prospect mac jones is a much better prospect to be an nfl quarterback but if they hit their 95th percentile outcomes josh allen is going to the hall of fame and mac jones is like an 88 on madden right so the bills took a huge gamble to try to hit this this outlier outcome and they've done it and so now it's going to pay off it's going to pay off huge now, of course if they had missed everybody gets fired you know 
Well, of course, but I tried to explain this to somebody the other day about quarterbacks and why Justin Fields has to start, and we're long past the time where unless you have the perfect circumstance for a guy to sit, uh, like in San Francisco for a few games, you know, it's like you have to start the guy because you're trying to find out if you've hit that home run. And it's talent evaluation, it's risk assessment, and it's, you know, kind of gambling in a lot of ways if you think about it. Like, that's why people gamble for the most part is because they want to chase that that 90th percentile as you said and josh allen being as good as he is it's not just the fact that everybody missed on him i mean he's put a lot of hard work into it as well plus they got the players around him and the team is overall better than they had been when they first drafted him and sometimes guys are going to be not good prospects and they're going to work out and i don't know i just i'm for some reason happy because that fan base is such a dedicated fan base that they deserve to have a team especially now the patriots are, are totally out of it um you know you I, I want them to play the chiefs again in the afc title game just so they can get that chance yeah no i um i agree with that i think that the i mean the one of the bills or the chiefs is going to be in the afc title game <laughs> for I mean, sure uh, uh selfishly we hope the browns win the afc of course because we may or may not have money that you should never bet and we don't endorse your betting at all but we may or may not have money on the browns to win the afc but i'm just saying uh, to be fair, I fully endorse your betting. Just don't blame me when it goes wrong. It ain't my fault. That, all right, there you go. Either way, I think the Bills are legit. The Texans absolutely stink. And um, we can move forward. So the next game here, we have the Giants 27 at the Saints 21. Another overtime win for the city of uh, Newark, New Jersey. Is that where they are? I don't know. I hate, I hate these games. I have been to that stadium a few times. I actually went to a WrestleMania there a few years back. It's a it's a decent stadium, but yes, it's in the Meadowlands, which I believe lands itself in New Jersey. But you can see New York from it, so I guess that's why they coined it New York, New Jersey. Fair enough. Um, so one thing to note is that uh, Danny Dimes has actually been putting up some decent numbers this year. In this game, he goes 28 of 40 for 402 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And he does it in a game where he doesn't have Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton. That's not good for the Saints defense. The Saints are the Jekyll and Hyde team. Like, and we said last week they're gonna go as far as their defense. Like, what the hell's going on with, with the Saints? They lose at home? Like their defense didn't look good in this game. They I don't I don't understand this team whatsoever. No, and uh another note here is that Saquon is is fully healthy. He has uh 13 carries, 52 yards and a touchdown, five catches, 74 yards and a touchdown. But importantly, he's making these his jump cuts, they're full jump cuts again. Like he's he's healthy, like he's he's back. So that's really important for their Giants and their quest to win four games this season. Um, and I do want to note, in all fairness, that Kadarius Tony in this game had six catches for 78 yards. Putting it together, Dave. Um, but the future of the Giants. So Danny has looked good, I have to admit. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, he's been putting up some points, but he hasn't really been turning the ball over at the frequency that he was. But the team still isn't good. So what is is Danny Dimes the problem? Like, would he be successful somewhere else? Is it the makeup of the team around him? I, I don't know what it is because it seems like if he appears to be mostly improving, why isn't the team improving with him? Well, I mentioned I mentioned a couple episodes back that between Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and Danny Dimes, that like Daniel Jones is by far the least of those problems mm -hmm. when it comes when it comes to the Giants, and it's not and it's not even close. So. I know I think that Daniel Jones is he's trying to prove that he should be a starter in the NFL right now and honestly it's still kind of close 
what we don't know is if he went to a better team. Like, does he have the Tannehill in him? Does he have the ability to actually be really good if he was with a better team and better organization? Right. Or is he just capable of putting up some good fantasy numbers on a bad team? Because those are two separate things, and he's only been able to prove the one. But the Giants can't stick with them. They've got to move on after this season with the whole new regime, whole new quarterback, whole new everything. Because Judge and uh, Gettleman are so terrible. What the Giants, what the ownership could have done is fired the coach and the GM, given him one year with Daniel Jones, seen what it is or whatever, and then made a decision about it. But now since they kept them all together, they got to move on from them all at once. Well, think about what the Giants might look like with Brandon Staley as their coach. Right. There's a good example of a guy who has taken a job, you know, with a with a good quarterback and they've looked good. So I think it's worth noting. But like, man, the Giants are so going to overpay Sa- Saquon, aren't they? Like they're going to get pinned into that corner, aren't they? I mean, it depends on who's on who's running the ship. If ownership is in charge, they absolutely shouldn't. Uh, but they're going to this is why you don't take running backs number two overall, because now you have to pay him and he's not worth it. But like the fan base is going to be livid if you don't pay him. If he yes. just walks, you get nothing for him. You you know, he was the number two overall pick. You've won like seven games since you drafted him. It, it, it's just a disaster all the way around. That's why you should never why you should never, never do that. Why he was more overdrafted. He was a worse second overall pick than Mitch Trubisky. So this might be a much better player. So, yeah, they're they're probably going to pay him. But they shouldn't. They should. They they honestly should trade him now. They should trade him to a team that's contending that could use a star running back and try to get like three first round picks out of the Chiefs or something. Yeah, and that's where I think the Giants are in an interesting spot because, to your point, they probably should move on from Daniel Jones. But then they're going to have to pay Saquon, and that's going to hold them back. Yeah. No. Now they might use the argument we can afford to pay Saquon because our next quarterback is going to be on a rookie contract. You better hope that hits. I mean, but it's going to be, so they're going to sign Saquon to a five-year deal. The quarterback's going to be there for three years anyways. Yeah. So whether it hits or not, you know, money-wise, it's going to be it's going to be the same. Uh, and if it hits, if they hit like the next Mahomes, maybe they go to Saquon, they can restructure. He takes less money to keep the quarterback. Now he's happy because they're winning. You know, maybe, so maybe it can work out some sort of way. But even then they should not pay Saquon and go pay, I don't know, defensive players, offensive linemen, stuff like that. Yeah, because you could actually use the draft capital to try to build you know the team in, in in a different way and then like you said the draft you know with, with capital with money you could go out and get some guys and i, I think it is going to be an interesting offseason for the giants because i don't see them winning this division and again they're going to be picking high so they're going to have a choice to make they're not picking high the bears are picking high oh right. no 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 no, right. no no they are they're picking high they, they got the bears pick so yeah. they pick their pick in the bears sorry yes. got that backwards sorry giants fans either way you're picking high yep uh, and then once again, just look quickly on the Saints. I have no idea. I think they they, they must be bad, <laughs> right? I, man, I, I don't know. I, I it's funny because when you watch them week to week, it's a roller coaster. You just don't know what you're gonna get. Like, is this the team they're gonna finish eight and nine, and every other week they're gonna look like shit? Like that feels <laughs> like what's gonna happen. I, I don't know. I mean, offensively, so this is this is my opinion. I think offensively we were right in our assessment of them. There's Kamara. Like, if Kamara gets hurt, that team's going to be bad. Like, because, like, they're, they're asking Jameis Winston to not do a lot. Like, if you really dive into the numbers and you look at the scheme, they're asking Jameis to basically be a game manager in a lot yeah. of ways because they know that he can lose them more games by being himself. At how long is that going to last? Also, it's not true. You need You need him to be himself and hopefully not turn it over as much. Well, yeah, but you understand what I'm saying is like they're yes. 
they're trying to manage the mistakes by him, which is also limiting the ceiling that he has. And that's what they got him there for because they're moving on from Drew Brees. Oh, I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting situation that I just don't see holding together for very long. It, I, I, I don't know. Does, does he give you the better chance to win in this particular fashion or does Taysom Hill with some of his other? I don't know. You know, like that's a tough call. No, Taysom, Taysom Hill is terrible. Whoa. It's definitely Jameis. They just have to let Jameis be Jameis. And to that end, they will get Michael Thomas back in like three more weeks. I stole, so, Michael, I stole Michael Thomas late in a fantasy draft to hold him on my bench just in case he comes back and absolutely lights it up. <laughs> well, I mean, that was – if you got a deep enough bench, that was uh, that that was pretty sharp. And that would be I, very good for Jameis as well, getting hit back. I can hold on to him. I also held on to Trey Lance. And guess what? My time is coming. Who's your other quarterback? Oh, we hold a lot of quarterbacks in the league. So I think I've got four on my roster just to hold some of these guys away from other people because we start two. Oh, you start two. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes, that I'm makes starting, sense. I'm starting Dak and Matt Stafford. I also have Sam Darnold on my bench, and I held Trey Lance in case he started. But I, I had a I had a plan if I needed to get rid of a guy that Lance would be the guy, but I've got some options. You should look to trade uh, Darnold to somebody who needs a quarterback right now for a position that you need to improve because Dak, Stafford, and Lance are going to be enough. Do you know who needs Sam Darnold who said that this exact morning? That would be Mrs. Ice. <laughs> well, good. You, you should, you should, you should uh, fleece the fleece, uh, fleece your wife and uh, sell Sam Darnold, who I actually really like. But you're 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 so deep at quarterback, you don't need uh, you don't need to hang on to him. You should improve elsewhere by trading Darnold or Stafford. Honestly, yeah, like I, I woke up this morning and came downstairs, and all I heard was, "When the hell did you get Sam Darnold?" And I was like, "Uh oh." <laughs> Man, I would I would punch my mother to have Megan be that interested in fantasy football. Uh, anyways, the next game here we have the Chiefs forty two at the Eagles thirty. Uh, this game was nuts. Offense all over the place. Now I don't. The Eagles were never really in the game per se, but they still performed well. Tyreek Hill eleven catches for one hundred eighty six yards and three touchdowns. Uh, I think Andy Reid listens to the show. Mm-hmm. Because that's two weeks in a row. I said, you need to th- give it to Tyreek Hill more. And he comes up with those 11, 186, and three. However, as far as like important observations in this game, I think Jalen Hurts is the more the more important observation here. Jalen Hurts has been in the top 10 in fantasy uh, quarterbacks every single week this year and in the top five twice. This game, 32 of 48. 387 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and then eight carries of 47 yards as well. Yeah, he looked great. One of the advanced metrics I've seen on him is that last year in his small sample, his bad throw percentage was like 26%. This year, it's just under 12%. So he's very clearly improved in that regard. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Also, he has improved options to throw at. Devontae Smith in this game, seven catches for 122 yards, and he's looking like a player I may have missed on in the evaluation process. Um, Not that I thought he would ever be bad, but I thought he would never be worth like the 10th overall pick wherever they took him. But he's he's balling out. He is balling out. And he's he doesn't look like the Deshaun Jackson type, you know, where it's like 
big hits. He's not a possession type of a guy, but he's getting a lot of targets and he's getting a lot of volume, which I think is what you want to see uh, out of a guy you took that high. And he seems to be getting a rapport with Jalen, which is another thing that you want too, right? Jalen to start getting a good relationship and, and uh, connection with some of these guys because that's how you get better, right? Yeah, well, don't forget, they are they are former teammates. Yeah, uh, they are, but I mean, in, yeah. in a pro level. In a pro level, like, Jalen didn't get a lot of playing time last year, so he's really kind of coming up to speed a lot more because he's mm-hmm. getting the full starting gig. And so they're almost, they're not in the same position, but they kind of are. Like, they're established, reestablishing themselves in the pro setting in this particular setting, uh, you know, together. And I think that that's a good thing to see it working and clicking. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I think that if the football team defense truly is what we've seen for the first four weeks the eagles are going to pass them yeah well you know what uh you said in the offseason that any scenario in the nfc east is likely except for the football team to finish last and uh that's barring injuries and we thought this defense would be better but can you imagine if they did finish last if the giants and football team had the same record i mean we said it was we said it was interchangeable garbage but like we didn't think it'd be like this. I mean, the Cowboys could. I've, I'm convinced now the Cowboys are going to be like 15 and two. <laughs> the the Giants are so far behind they the are, football team and the Eagles that they're that they're going to finish it. They're going to finish last. And honestly, they should probably even want to as a fan base and just like just get some good draft picks with the pieces they got and, and stuff like that. The uh, the next game we have here, we have the Panthers 28 at the aforementioned Cowboys 36. And this is a great win for the Dallas Cowboys. But I actually want to start with Sam Darnold, uh, who you're about to trade uh, to your better half. He goes 26 of 39, 301 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, but six carries for 35 yards and two touchdowns on the ground for Sam Darnold. Uh, to make him the number two fantasy quarterback on the week, only behind only Patrick Mahomes. What it just ins- this is insane. Adam Gase sucks so bad. The thing about it is, um, I, the way that this game went, some of those stats were in garbage time because the Cowboys had a big lead and and they played so well for the first three quarters. But I think what you're looking for is Sam Darnold is without McCaffrey, who's very clearly their biggest weapon. And even though they lost, it wasn't all on Sam Darnold. I mean, guys are going to throw picks, right? You can't expect a guy to throw zero picks throughout the entire season. Cowboys defense has been a turnover machine this year, which I don't think anybody really saw. And you know what? Uh, he played well enough to, again, be considered that this team, I think, is is good. Um, but how will they fare against some of the better teams in the NFC? I think that will be the question. But I can't question Sam Darnold's play right now. I he seems to be playing with a lot of confidence, even though he was, uh, you know, he wasn't that great for a while in in this game, and it wasn't their best game as a team. I think that he is only going to continue to go up, and I'm personally happy for the guy. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for him. I mean, in the 2018 draft, he is the quarterback I would have taken first overall. So I'm I'm really happy to see him uh, starting to starting to come on here uh, a little bit now. As far as the Cowboys are concerned, one thing that I did note in this game is the Cowboys want to be a run first team, which is weird to me given all their talent with the with the rest. Like I think that's a I think that's a mistake on their part, but that's certainly what they want to do. I mean Zeke gets 20 carries for 143, Pollard gets 10 carries for 67, and Dak only throws the ball 22 times. So it's clear that they want to be a run first team, but against the Bucks. They couldn't do that, and they had to throw the ball 
And I think that speaks to what the question you asked about how they're going to look against the better teams in the conference. They're going to have to pass because the best teams in the NFC are really going to stop in the run. So you're going to have to pass the ball to beat the better teams. And so I think that to get a real feel for the Cowboys ceiling, we have to see them in games to where they have to throw the ball a lot. Is it possible they have adapted their play style because Dak's shoulder still isn't quite right? It's possible, but I mean, Dak threw the ball like 58 times a couple games ago, and, and he's like, he's looked okay. So it's possible, you know, they get they did get a lead in this game. They were like, okay, Zeke time. But even in games where they've been close, they've still been wanting to run it as much as they can. I mean, they have looked good running the ball. Like if they're going to run the ball this effectively, obviously they're going to do really well. But I will be interested to see what happens when they are not able to. Essentially, I mean, that Bucks game, neither team ran the ball very well. But the Bucks have a really good run defense, so you kind of expect that. And, That'll be brought up again later when we talk about the Sunday night game. But um, the Cowboys have looked really good. And I guess if you think about it, if their game plan is to be effective running the ball and Dak doesn't have to to carry the team and they're winning, then fine, right? But I want to bring up another Mike McCarthy thing again. And I I think it's worth noting. So late, late in the game or later in the game, I think they were up 33 to 14 or something like that. And McCarthy challenged the spot of the ball on a fourth and one. And I was like, I don't understand. I I guess maybe the analytics would tell you that you want to do that, but you're up by, you have a chance to go up by three scores this late in the game. He challenges it. He loses a second timeout. They have one left to go. They end up winning the game. But to me, it seemed like a foolish challenge to try to get another yard and when you had a close enough field goal that like the game was not out of reach, but like your defense was playing well enough. It's late enough in the game. I don't know. It seemed kind of like another weird uh, decision by Mike McCarthy. And I do worry a little bit that even if this team wins 13 games and has some home games, I, I feel like Mike McCarthy's going to cost them a playoff game. I just, I, I feel it in my, my gut. I mean, I think that's, I think that's likely, likely true. Now I didn't see this playing question. So I don't know like how, because challenging the spot is rough. They almost never change it unless it's very obvious. Right. So, and that's what I was leaning on. Right. And so if it wasn't, if it wasn't obvious, then yeah, it's, it's probably not a good challenge. Um, and the game, and- the game where it was, didn't make a lot of sense. Like you're already in scoring position. You get three points to go up by 20, uh, 22, right and i don't know like i again a touchdown puts the game away for good good i guess but it just seemed like a silly place to challenge where it, it wasn't something clearly that you could overturn like spot of how, the, much time, is, how much time was left in the game do you know i i don't remember it was either late in the third or early in the fourth or something like that now the panthers scored two garbage touchdowns to make it 36 28 but um you know late because i think they ended up kicking the field goal because the challenge wasn't upheld right and they went up 36 14 so you're up 22 you're up three scores um i don't know it it wasn't like it was in the first half or it was early in the third quarter i think it was either almost in the fourth quarter or at the beginning of the fourth quarter so i think i think with that much time left on the clock it's probably a go for it on a fourth and one anyways yeah and if and so that's the thing if the if he's going to challenge the spot he has to go for it if he because if he's just going to kick anyways then it doesn't really matter there's no fourth down play to have to avoid so if the so by him challenging the spot and then kicking anyways i think is like doubly terrible Mm -hmm. like it doesn't make any sense 
if you're going to challenge it, it's because you're going to go for it anyways. And so you just want to be awarded the first down, not have to worry about it. But right. that's probably a go for it situation. I mean, fourth and one, you're running the ball this effectively. We've been talking about it. Mm-hmm. You could sneak it with Dak if you want or bring in Cooper Rush or whoever to do a sneak. You could do all sorts of things there. I probably go for the situation, in which case I might also challenge, but I wouldn't challenge and then kick a field goal. Like, just kick a field goal. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean is it just felt like – it just felt like wrong in, in so many different ways. And I just worry about this coach getting into the playoffs against a better coach, right? Like a McVay, who we know can we know can coach, or maybe even Kyle Shanahan. Let's hope, right? Because we did predict them to go to the Super Bowl. But I think you understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, a- absolutely. Uh, speaking of Kyle Shanahan, the next game here, we have the Seahawks 28 at the 49ers 21. So Jimmy G gets hurt and he leaves the game at halftime and Trey Lance comes in and takes over in the second half. Now, earlier we talked about Zach Wilson and how he made all these big plays. He had an overtime game. They win the game and he cut down the mistakes and had a bunch of big passes down the field. Trey Lance in one half had as many fantasy points as Zach Wilson in the entire game. He looked good. If, if this were basketball, we would describe Trey Lance as a bucket. Like this dude gets yards and he generates offense and Jimmy G should not play again unless Trey Lance gets hurt. This was, this was absurd. So he comes in, he goes nine of 18 for 157 and two with no picks, seven carries and 41 yards. Yeah. The only, the only thing you want him to improve on is the accuracy, but I think you can, I think that's something that you can work on. It's the intangibles that you can't running the football, you know, like, situational knowing when to run it it seems like he's got some of that already right he's not just trying like lamar at first seemed like he was always trying to use his legs and it was figuring out the sweet spot of when to use it and when not to use it because he's a quarterback trey lance feels like he has some of those instincts already and if he can become more accurate that's that's going to be so dangerous so so dangerous yeah, and the only way for him to, to become more accurate is to play more games. Exactly. And, yep. and to get more reps with the starters in practice, right? Yeah. Like, that's that's the only way there. But, I mean, you can just see the ceiling. Also, this game, Debo Samuel, eight catches, 156 yards, and two touchdowns, including a play where he was the most open I've ever seen a wide receiver in an NFL game. There was not a defender within 30 yards of him, any direction. But that is – so in the Michigan online – Michigan Wolverine football online stuff. We call that play the QBO nose, which goes back to Denard Robinson, which is where you're so concerned about the quarterback running the ball. You actually forget to cover a wide receiver. And it happens like in college, it happens a lot. And the NFL doesn't happen so much, but you can tell the Seahawks had a game plan for Trey Lance. Yep. And so they call this play, and all of a sudden Debo was just out there, like, you know, Tom Hanks in the middle of the ocean. There's nobody near him. So that was fantastic. Now, Seattle. Seattle did win this game. They didn't do very much at all uh, uh, to win. I mean, Russ, very efficient, 16 of 23, but only for 149 and two touchdowns. But this was a huge win for the Seahawks. If the Seahawks had lost this game, I would actually declare that they were not going to make the playoffs. This division is so tough. Two weeks in a row, we're going to get NFC West versus NFC West. And any uh, concoction of how these teams fare in the division is on the table. It's seriously on the table because I don't think that this means that the Seahawks are better than the 49ers, right? Uh, I think if they played again, the 49ers could win by three touchdowns with Trey Lance. 
Yeah, they can win by three touchdowns with Jimmy G. Like, it, yeah, it's all it's all over. It's all over the place. So yeah, so this game, like I said, there isn't too much to take away from this game besides the fact that Trey Lance came in and just looked exactly like what you wanted to see and demonstrated why he needs to be in the games to in, in playing. And the Seahawks got this great win on the road. Normally, we're talking about divisions that are so bad that the teams just are going to beat up on each other, but ultimately it doesn't matter. So rarely do we get a division that from top to bottom is this good, where the outcomes could be all over the place, and yet all four of these teams could legitimately make the playoffs. Yep. And uh, so the next game here is the other half of the division. The Cardinals 37 at the Rams 20. This is the best win for any team on the year by far. The Rams coming off the victory over the Bucs. The Cardinals come in and just whomp them in their home stadium in LA. Uh, And it has to be said, two things. One, the Cardinals are now the last unbeaten team in the league. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kyler Murray is the current MVP. Oh, there's no question that if the season ended today, that would be it. But I have to say, as much, as great as he has been, I've got to give props to that Cardinals defense. Like, they have looked yes. really, really good through the first four games, and I think that has been the big difference. Obviously, Kyler doing what he does is, is what you expect out of that team, uh, but that defense has been somewhat of a surprise, at least at this level. And again, remember, the Bucks defense, which won a Super Bowl last year. Now, they're hurt. I get it. Their secondary's hurt. Matt Stafford did anything that he wanted to that defense pretty much. And um, Matt Stafford, th- that, that offense looked completely off kilter against this defense. And I think it's not that I don't think it's that Stafford and that the offense was bad. I think that the Cardinals defense is playing that good. Yes. No, I completely, I completely agree with you. Defense not playing good, though, would be the Rams. They've now given yeah. up 400 yards in back to back games. Mm-hmm. Um no, they've done that to Tom Brady and Kyler Murray. So it's not the end of the world. I mean, those are quarterbacks that can get yards, but right. it it's not what you want to see. And then also from the uh, Rams' point of view, Cooper Cup in this game, five catches for 64 yards. That's, that's not going to work. He is the elite number one alpha wide receiver in the offense now. He's Devontae Adams. He's Stephon Diggs. He's Tyreek Hill. Like, he need he's the engine of the offense. He needs to get 15, 12, 16 targets a game. Like he needs to get fed. He's a legit number one wide receiver and they need to treat him like it and not be spreading the ball out to all these other players. Sorry, Robert Woods. I know he's mad. He's he's complaining in the media. He's complaining in the locker room. He scored a touchdown in this game and was pissed about it because it was only his fourth catch. But like Cooper Cup has now accelerated way past and the Rams need to treat him as if he's Calvin Ridley and just throw him the ball all the time. How much of the Rams' defensive struggle has been because they can't run the ball effectively? Obviously, they lost Cam Akers at the beginning of the season, and that offense has been very um, you know, explosive. And so a lot of times what that means is they're not on the field for as long of a time, and so the defense has had to spend more time out on the field. Um, you know, Do you think that against these better teams and better defenses that the running game for the Rams could be a liability? Uh, I don't because in the NFL nowadays, running the ball is not the most efficient way to move the ball. Right. And so it's not like, it doesn't matter how you string together first downs. It's just that you have to do it and passing is the more efficient way of doing it. So I guess running the ball does keep the clock moving and it lowers the amount of time the defense needs to play, but the Rams don't want to do that anyways. They have a good offense. They want as many possessions as possible. So they want to be passing, 
So in this case, I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's the running game. It just is like you can't get three and outs or a first down and out over and over and over again, whether it's because you can't run your throwing complete passes. You you have to hold the ball for a little while to help the defense. The running game used to be how you do that. But in the NFL nowadays, unless you're Tennessee or Baltimore, it's not the case. All right. Because I, I didn't know, you know, against a guy like Kyler, who you want to have the ball uh less because he does so much with it that having at least some semblance of a running game and some piece uh would at least add to a little bit of the clock management side like obviously it's more efficient to pass but if you have that coupled with being able to at least effectively run when you need to uh it does help the defense out quite a bit yeah no no i mean that that is that is true it just won't matter so much for the Rams because the Rams can pass the ball so efficiently, right? right? You know, if if uh, I'm trying to think of a team like, okay, like we'll take the Titans. They're the extreme opposite example of this, right? Where they don't have A.J. Brown, they don't have Julio Jones. So yes, they have to run the ball effectively with Derrick Henry in order to, to give their defense a rest, right? Uh, but if you flip that around to Kansas City, they don't need to run the ball to give the defense a rest. They need to just keep completing passes, right? The Rams mm-hmm. are closer to the Kansas City side than the Tennessee side. So your, I don't disagree with your thought as a general principle, just at how it applies specifically to the Rams. All right, that's fair. Uh, the next game here, we have the Steelers 17 at the Packers 27. Uh, the Steelers are terrible. The floor has dropped out on this team, and they could be picking in the top five. Oh, did you see that fourth down play where Ben checked down on fourth down? Two weeks in a row. He did it last week, too. Totally done. And I have to say this. Mike Tomlin has got to pull Big Ben. It just has to happen. I understand that they paid him. I get what he's done for the organization, but man, like they're they're not going to win this way, and they might as well see what they got in Haskins. They just have to. Yeah, they're. I don't know when their bye week is. They might just be waiting for the every bye week, week to make. Every week is a bye week for them. Basically, it's like they're not even playing. Yeah, I just need. I just want the listeners to like in your mind when you start thinking about Pittsburgh Steelers, you need to think like how you used to think about the Cincinnati Bengals. Like you need to just completely flip it because that's that is the position they occupy right now in that division and in that conference. They are a bad team that other teams are going to beat consistently. Do they have a chance at picking number one? Yes, because they could easily get swept in their division, but the win over Buffalo is not going to help because that is a win that Atlanta and the Giants are not going to get. That's a win the Lions are not going to get. So they got, they went out and got like the toughest win. They're going to have the best win of the bad teams, and that makes it hard to pick first overall. But they could legitimately be picking in the top five. Yes. I mean, so we've got Houston, Jacksonville, Atlanta, the Giants, the Jets, the Lions, and the Steelers. So there's like seven in in the running for it. Yeah. And they could, could be in be, there. That could be interesting. I can't wait for them to sign Big Ben again and draft an offensive lineman and think that's going to solve all their problems next year. <laughs> just, just take another running back. Exactly. Oh, yeah. We got a, yeah the, the two-headed monster. I feel bad for Najee Harris, too, because like you said – not a personal take on the guy like he's a fine player but if he had been drafted to a team that was in better shape had a better running game offensively he'd be having a monster year yeah you can see the talent like you can see why he was not just a five-star prospect he was the number one prospect in the country his year coming out of high school mm-hmm. goes to alabama plays immediately as a freshman at alabama which not easy at the running back position mm-hmm. i agree uh, i mean they oh yeah and he he would be killing it somewhere else just absolutely yeah. killing it somewhere else. I mean, when he got to Alabama, they had Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris at least. 
on the team. And I think there was somebody else still. <laughs> they were, and he was still getting getting carries. I mean, he's he's fantastic, and he will when they start getting this sort of figured out. Like two years from now, he'll be like a top five fantasy pick when they finally get it put together a little bit. But not right now. And the Packers, I mean, Devontae Adams had six catches for sixty four yards, and then we're never going to lose this game. Nope. They, it really was a bye week for Green Bay. It, yeah, it it looked. Uh, so good for Green Bay. There's really nothing to say about the Packers. They've clearly found some some mojo and they're playing really well. If uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are going to have that kind of you know relationship this year, it, they're going to be tough to stop. Uh, but we'll see what happens when we get later in the season because I think this is another case where Matt Lafleur could end up costing them a game, and you know in spite of the talent that they actually have. But I do have to ask about the Steelers. Are there any current quarterbacks in the league now? that would make sense for the Steelers to go after sooner rather than later. Like we've talked about guys that are probably on their last year with their team without a rookie necessarily. Like Kirk Cousins is a guy that I wonder, right? You know, like you say he's, this is his last year with the Vikings. If it is, yeah. is that kind of, is that the kind of guy Jimmy G is going to be out there? If Haskins doesn't work out, like, I feel like there's some options where the Steelers could go after somebody that would be better than what they're currently fielding for, for next season. No, they 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 made the mistake. They made this mistake last year when they didn't get Jameis. Yeah, Jameis. Yeah, right. Jameis was the person they should have brought in to be behind Ben last year and take over this year, and they didn't do it because they knew Ben wanted to play two more seasons. That was their mistake. Jameis Winston should be the starting quarterback for the Steelers right now in this evaluation period. Yeah. Okay. That's. I mean that that that's astute. I I feel like and. Man, I said at the beginning the Steelers were in a tough spot because they had no plan for the future. And not only are they going to be bad this year, but the quarterback crop coming out of this draft is not nearly what it was this year. I know that there's there's obviously going to be guys that are that are worth taking, but uh, this this past draft was different than any draft I had remembered in recent memory as far as like hyped quarterback play. Yes, especially quarterbacks with really high ceilings. I mean, 2018 was was high was high as well. But the yeah, it feels like Zach Wilson would be for sure the number one pick this year. Right, right. You know, so yeah. So I, I'm I'm with you as of right now. We haven't seen a lot from the quarterbacks, although I still think Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma is really good. Yeah, he is. Although Oklahoma has looked surprisingly not average, but they haven't been blowing teams out the way that you would think that they would. But hey, those no, Michigan Wolverines cracking the top ten, baby. Absolutely, running the ball ninety-four percent of the time, like the Tennessee that's, Titans out here. That's right. Well, we get uh, we get we're at Nebraska and then host Northwestern. So those should be two more wins. Michigan State has Indiana and Rutgers. And then Michigan and Michigan State play each other Halloween weekend. They should both be undefeated. Top 10 out of nowhere. It's going to be insane. Absolutely bonkers. Not to mention both teams uh, preparing to lose by 40 to Alabama or Georgia, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, for any of my Michigan State friends friends that are listening to this, the Michigan State game this year is on the 17th anniversary of the triple overtime Braylon Edwards game. You're welcome. All right. Uh, the next the next game we have here, we have the Ravens 23 at the Broncos 7. Uh, so Teddy Bridgewater gets knocked out of the game about halftime. Drew Locke comes in. He goes 12 of 21 for 113 yards, no touchdowns and one pick. So we found a quarterback worse than Ben Roethlisberger. Broncos finally played a real team and whew. Not good. Yeah. I know Teddy. I know Teddy got hurt, but even still, remember coming into the season, it was Locker Bridgewater, and everybody thought that they made the wrong call by starting Teddy Bridgewater. But boy, Drew Lock looked Drew Locky. Yeah, he is. We know we make this joke all the time, but Drew Lock's definitely going to be the quarterback of the Battlehawks in the XFL next year. 
man oh the bronc i i did a poll on twitter i don't know if you saw it it was like what three and one team is the most fraudulent and the broncos won in a landslide and yeah. like three three hundred votes they almost got 50 percent of the vote yeah yeah no they're uh they're terrible the ravens won this game through the passing game actually they did <laughs> so they had uh, Lamar goes 22 of 37 uh, for 316 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Also, Hollywood Brown with an amazing touchdown catch, diving Willie Mays touchdown catch the week after dropping three touchdowns against the Lions. You texted offline. He caught that one, and that's basically what I said out loud. As because I walked outside as that catch happened, and I was like, "What? He caught that one? The other ones were right in his hands. He didn't have to do anything but catch and run. This one, he did some acrobatic gymnast catch, and it was incredible." Yes. Now the Ravens hit, coming into this game, they had rushed for at least 100 yards in 73 straight games, which was one game behind the record set by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the early 70s. They got the ball back with like 16 seconds to go, up 23 to seven. It, they had 97 yards rushing. Coach Harbaugh, because he's a Harbaugh, sends the offense back onto the field. They run a quarterback power sweep for five yards to tie the record. And apparently, this is causing real beef between the Broncos and the Ravens. Dick Fangio, the adult coach of the Broncos, used to work for John Harbaugh or something. And, like, they're mad because why are you running a play when you're winning? Just take a knee. And the Ravens are like, we want to tie this record. So before I give my opinion, I want to know, where do you fall on this? Should they have just taken a knee? Were they okay to get this record? What do you think? It was harmless. They weren't running up the score. They wanted to get a few yards to get a record that's really tough to get. It's a meaningless outcome at the end of it and really all that it is is Vic Fangio being pissed that their team sucks yeah so that's pretty much that's pretty much in line with what with what I was thinking uh one thing I will say though is I don't think running up the score is a thing that ever exists not in the NFL or in college I think that you should try to score as many points as you can as as much as you possibly can um but you're right it's not the matter of play action bomb because they need to tie a touchdown passing record or something right. like he ran for five more yards it's not you know he ran for five yards and then knelt down and gave himself up. Like he knew exactly what he needed to do to get the record. They got it, and that's it. It's harmless. It's it's just harmless. I, I, this is Vic Fangio trying to make his team relevant and seem like this badass, hard-ass coach when really the team sucks and he sucks. Yeah, no, he's he's terrible. This also means that we will see the Ravens break the Steelers' record on Monday Night Football this week. Oh yeah. So that's gonna be that's gonna be very fun. Um. So that was it for for this game. Uh, the next game we have the Bucks nineteen at the Pats seventeen. Now we've already discussed some of the hoopla around this game. We discussed it in the preview last week. Uh, so here we'll talk about the game itself. First, Tom Brady does break the all time passing yards uh, record on a play where they didn't know that he did it. So they didn't stop the game. They didn't go back and, and record it. Benny and Twitter was losing their mind because Mike Evans ended up getting, catching the pass that broke the record, but they didn't think it was it. So it was, it was just a whole, that was a whole thing. Um, the Pats defense really good. I mean, they really held the, the bucks in check in this game, but really this game comes down to one decision by Bill Belichick. And that was attempting the 56 yard field goal in the rain with a minute to go with the Bucks having two timeouts with the score 19 to 17. So as the resident Pats fan and Belichick stand, what do you think of that decision? So I actually think it wasn't because of that, that it was the drive earlier. They were down 16 to 14. They got that trick play to get down inside the five. And that's a situation where good teams get it in the end zone. They put it in the end zone and they give the Bucks the chance, but they have to score a touchdown now. And settling for a field goal there, 
just felt like that was going to be the game. And I d disagreed with the kick because I felt like you have two options. You kick a 56-yarder in, in the rain, and you miss, and the game's over. You go for it on fourth and three and miss, and the game is still over. So, like, the outcome on both sides is the same. Go for it and get it. You get at least closer, right? You And you can take some more time off the clock because even if they made that field goal, Brady gets the ball back with, like, 50 seconds and two timeouts left or whatever it was, and I'm like, oh, he would have gotten a field goal. So, you, I don't know. I, I felt like it was the inability for the Patriots, and this is a theme for their season. They don't put it in the end zone. They're inefficient in the red zone. Uh, if they had a chance to really put the pressure on the Bucks by getting it in the end zone that drive, they didn't do it, and I don't know. I I, I just felt like that was the key part of the game. Even if they made the field goal, I didn't have confidence that they were going to win it. They needed to do something to put pressure on the Bucks, and they just couldn't do it. And this is the difference between a good team and a decidedly average or below average team. Yeah, for some reason, Belichick panicked with the field goal decision. And I don't, it's, it's very it's very unlike him to make such an egregious mistake. I mean, the, the 56 yards ties the kicker's record long, right? It's not like he has Justin Tucker or Matt Prater. Like we're asking this kicker to go tie his career long in a driving rainstorm with the game on the line. Instead of going for a fourth and three, it was a fourth and eight. Like it's it's fourth and three. Like you, like that's an obvious go for it situation. And we're just not used to Bill Belichick making these Mike McCarthy-ass decisions, but that definitely was one. I felt like it was a weird decision. Now, the funny part is he almost made the damn kick. So it was like, it would have been better had he just completely flubbed and missed the kick. But the fact that it was, it had been from 55, it probably would have eked in, but it didn't. But I, I kind of felt like Bill didn't feel as if Mac Jones could get three yards or the offense couldn't get three yards. Because I feel like, again, you miss the field goal, the game's over. At least by going for it and missing it, you're giving yourself a chance to continue the game, take time off the clock, and possibly still get that field goal chance a little bit closer. And it just, it didn't feel like the right call. A ton of people, like former coaches, said it was the right thing to do. And I'm like, it doesn't feel that way to me. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the Bucks are better than the Patriots. But I have to say the defense played excellent that Patriots defense is is legitimate it's just unfortunate that their offense is light years behind them and is not going to be able to score enough to keep this defense to you know to allow this defense to win them games because get, holding the Bucks to 19 you'd have felt like okay that's good but if you're only I mean the Patriots are averaging like 16 points a game that's so not going to win yeah, no, no, that's not going to win at all. And one last thing about the the decision, the decision to kick. I know some of the former coaches were trying to say that it was that it was the right decision, but it's not because you know he's Belichick thinks Mac Jones can't get me this fourth and three. So you make the decision to kick, and that reinforces with the team that Mac Jones can't get the fourth and three. If you go for it and he doesn't get it you're in the same position as you are now when you decided to kick. But if you go for it and you get it, now it's actually a real, like, the ceiling's much higher. It's like, we did it. Here's our quarterback. He's leading us. Whatever. Like, the kick was just... It wasn't... It, it was that riskier play because it's such a difficult kick. It also had lower upside because, again, you give Brady a chance to still come back and win the game. And you don't get Mac Jones. It's like huge moment, this huge proven moment with Brady on the other on the other side on national TV and everybody's watching and the record was set. It just, it was a bad decision all the way around. Mac Jones played well enough to deserve the ball 
at that moment. That's the way that I yes. felt. That's the yeah. way that I felt. And that's not an emotional take. I mean, I, I can watch the Patriots without emotion and look at it from a football perspective. And I was like, there are little things that I think Mac Jones needs to improve on. But ultimately, given the spot in that game, right, everything coming into that game, he actually was able to match Brady in certain instances. Like those two touchdown drives that they led, and there were some that were, you know, some penalties and all that. But I was very happy with being able to drive down and get those touchdowns in those in that particular game. The way that that game was going, they responded a couple times, and this is a, a stepping stone moment for Mac Jones. You give him that ball at fourth and three, and he gets it, and the team ends up winning. That's huge. And ultimately, he, he didn't get that chance. Right, and even if he doesn't get it, Bill Belichick believing that he can get it yeah. is worth a lot. And I, I don't think that Bill Belichick doesn't believe in him. I think that it was just a bad decision that was made in the moment. Like, I don't think this is any, there's anything to read into it. It just felt like yes, Mac was not, Mac was denied the opportunity to take a step. Like at some point he's going to be asked to do that. And I'm sure Mac wanted the ball. I don't yeah. think, it, you know what I mean? And it, I, I feel like, I don't know, he deserved to have the ball in that moment. And, and Bill took that away from him and, it is what it is. I mean, the Patriots are not a good football team. I was happy with the way that they played. Uh, and let's hope that Mac Jones can continue to get better. There's some things I'd like to see him improve on. A little skittish in the pocket. You know, even on the touchdown, the second touchdown, getting rid of the ball in like half a second. It's like, dude, you can let the play marinate for like another half second. Like he was so open. John Smith was so open. He didn't have to. It's like he had to get rid of the ball super, super quick. Uh, but I think those are things that he can improve on. But he stepped up to the moment because if you think about it, this was a really big moment. As unnecessary as it was, it was a Super Bowl like atmosphere in Foxborough, and he, you know, he stepped up to the plate and, and played well enough to deserve that chance at the end. I agree. The uh, final game of the week, we have the Raiders fourteen at the Chargers twenty-eight. Just like we thought, Raiders got exposed. Chargers up twenty-one to nothing. Uh, the Raiders come back and score two touchdowns early in the second half to try to make it a game, but it never really was a game. Austin Eckler fifteen carries, one hundred and thirteen yards and a touchdown. Three catches, twenty-eight yards and a touchdown. Conversely, Josh Jacobs, he's either hurt or he's already washed. Thirteen carries for forty yards, five catches for seventeen yards. I think he's hurt. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's hurt because he has been questionable since week one. He missed a week. I think he's just hurt, and I think he's playing through it. Uh, but, man, <laughs> Raiders, frauds. I call them the frauders now. That's what I'm going to call them <laughs> uh, because 3-0 and just didn't feel right, and the, ch the Chargers are so much better than them. The Chargers are legitimate in the AFC, and the Raiders, if that – like, let's, let's take the Chargers as, like, the – the, the comparative line, if you take out like the Chiefs and the Bills, are the Raiders that good? No. it's just, The, the answer is no. Yeah, no. The Raiders are a bad team that they're going to be bemoaning their draft position, right? Yeah. When they finish like 6-11, and 11, they're going to be like, man, we could be 4-13 and 13 and be picking 6th instead, right? They're going to get, they're going to continue to get exposed. Now, the thing is, in this game, they insisted on trying to run the ball until they were behind, then let Derek Carr throw the ball downfield a bunch, and it started to work. They just need to do that all the time. They just need to build, like, they need to be like the Daryl Monica Raiders, where they just throw the ball down the field all the time to Cliff Branch, and so this gets its head rugs and you got uh darren waller out there they should be one of the least uh run heavy teams in the league they should pass the ball 70 percent of the time yeah i mean that they're at their best when they sell out so just sell out and let Derek carr throw the ball <laughs> 75 times 
Yeah, and also Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake can both play in the pass game. Yeah. So you could still use these players. You do, but you just they should just be out there throwing the ball. Like they should they should literally never run. So uh, is Brandon Staley? That's his name, right? The Chargers coach. Yes. Is he the best coaching hire of the offseason, or is it just he had the best situation with Herbert being where Herbert is? Because I know Herbert has some improving to do, but I think we know Herbert's going to be the man for a while. I think, I mean, he's definitely the best hire of the offseason to to this point, right? Because one thing, too, is that he doesn't need to turn bad teams into good teams, which is much harder to do. He's taking a a talented team with a bad record and getting them a good record but he he clearly knows what he's doing like he he's got some sense about him it's too early to say that he's sharp but he's probably not terrible we can rule out awful i think so too i just you know watching him in this game it's a monday night game uh especially coming off a big win against the chiefs sometimes these young teams or these inexperienced teams can have a little bit of a letdown after a big win and they didn't. They they stepped on the gas, and he doesn't look like he's out there not knowing when to challenge, not knowing what the situations are. And it's going to take some time for him to learn, but ultimately I feel like that was a really solid hire, and that team has a pretty high ceiling. I really feel it. Well, yeah, they're sealing the Super Bowl. I, I think it might be. I mean, Herbert, man, he just looks – and Herbert was a guy, remember, like he was – at one point, one of the better prospects, but I think he people soured on him at at some point, right before that draft. Um, and he's playing with. I mean, he looks good. Well, he went back to school for a senior year, which is never good when you're going to be a top a top pick because um, you're just a year older. And then he was he played worse as a senior than as a junior, and he was much more inaccurate as a senior than as a junior. So they became like huge warning signs. But yeah. his athletic profile was still always off the off off the charts. Yeah. Um, but big that's why the, he big that's why he for fell. The Chargers. Yeah, big win yeah. for the Chargers. Um, this is two games in a row now. The Raiders have looked like frauds, and uh, the frauders are going down. They are. So now looking forward to next week, I noted a few games here for next week. We have the Rams Seahawks Thursday night. That's mm-hmm. going to be a ton of fun. I agree, which means it'll end seven to six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to be three touchdowns for Chris Carson and like two touchdowns for Tyler Higby. Uh, then we have we have a London game this week. And we, you know what? We're such good friends with the United Kingdom. We only send them our best products. They get the Jets and the Falcons. So I have to ask, if the goal of sending these games to London is to attract a possible franchise in London at some point, that has to be the end goal, I think. Who in their right mind saw this game before the season started and thought Falcons-Jets? Just based off of last season, like that's the game that we're going to put out there to attract people this year. I don't think that they pick the London games based on that. I think they want to rotate the teams they send to London to try to generate interest in the different current existing teams. Who cares about the Jets and Falcons over there? Like, Jesus, just send Tom Brady over there. That, that, that'll that get him. Counter-argument. Counter-argument. The Premier League sends an actual, an actual Premier League game to be played in the United States. Does it even matter if it's two teams battling relegation? Or would it just be awesome? I mean, I don't. I get. I think it depends on your level of interest in in the sport. I mean, 
do does anybody know who these teams are like does the premier league carry that much weight with it just as a premier league team even if they're relegated you know what i mean like your casual fan like if you're trying to build the interest in the sport at a casual level which i would assume is what they're trying to do with the nfl maybe to your point you're right maybe everybody's gonna go and everybody's like man i can't wait to see uh old Matty Ice, not me, and uh, <laughs> young, you know, Zach Wilson, uh, Zachy Ice, if you will. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like, man, I I'll tell you what, though. I'm not going to wake up at 9 o'clock to watch that shit. Uh, well, I have to work this Sunday, so I will definitely be awake to uh, to watch it while I'm getting together all my lineups and stuff for DFS this week. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think there's going to be a lot of points going in this game. I think it's going to be an exciting 38-35 sort of, sort of game at least. Man. All right. Then on Sunday, uh, the one o'clock window, not the best, not the best in the one o'clock window, but in the four o'clock window, we get the Browns at the Chargers. Yeah, that, that that's going to be a game where I feel like we'll find out about the Browns more than the Chargers. I don't know. What do you think? I think we find out about the Chargers because we see them against that defense. All right. That's legit. I mean, well, the Browns are going to have to figure themselves out offensively if they want to score, keep up with the Chargers. Yeah, but the Browns go on the road, lose to the Chargers. Reasonable, right? That's a, that's a reasonable thing to have happen. Uh, but Justin Herbert comes out, gets sacked, you know, only one or two times, goes for 350 yards and four touchdowns against this defense. And now, now we're talking about Kansas City might have some competition, you know? Yep. Oh, uh, we have the 49ers at the Cardinals. So hopefully Trey Lance's first game, he comes in, he gets 400 yards of offense against the Cards and 10-point road victory, and that's that for Jimmy G. That's going to be like a 55-45 game. I hope. Um, then Sunday night, we have the game of the week. Bills at the Chiefs. It really is. And I, I can't decide to myself if this is a, a game that the Bills need more or the Chiefs need more. Do you know what, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, the Chiefs, I think, have looked – I don't want to say spotty. I mean, offensively, they obviously have all the talent. We talked about their depth. Their defense has been a little bit spotty. The Bills have blown out every team the last three games. But I feel like the Bills need this one to prove that they can beat Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. I think that this game is more important for the Chiefs season long because they actually have competition in, from within their division. But the Bills going to Arrowhead and getting a win will show them that they can do that, which might be the number one thing they need to do to make the Super Bowl. Yeah, and then the prospect of the Chiefs being 2-3 and three, losing a tiebreaker to the Bills it's almost like the AFC is going to have to go through Orchard Park Bills Mafia is going to be on display putting people through tables lighting stuff on fire <laughs> yeah no no this game is this game is huge for the winner like uh yeah it's just I think whoever loses this game is not in, is not in a bad position whatever wins this game is in such a strong position that this this game is going to be insane the uh the final game here the monday night game we mentioned this before we have the colts at the ravens which i think should be a fun game just at least watching lamar they're gonna break that record it should be a good it should be a good time yeah and the Colts season will effectively end they will be mathematically eliminated from playoff contention after five games <laughs> man hope. i mean how bad is carson wentz gonna look compared to lamar jackson on the same field yeah and remember, at one point, Carson Wentz was supposed to be like Lamar Jackson. He's a guy who has he's, he can move, he can run, right? All that kind of stuff. Not obviously the same level as Lamar, but right. it's amazing how much has changed. Absolutely I, amazing. I cannot believe how far Carson Wentz has fallen off, uh, but he's still better than Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually almost to the point where everybody but Davis Mills is uh, better than Ben Roethlisberger. 
I'd rather have Davis Mills. At least he might do like grow into something. Very, very true. Well, you know what, Dave? Uh, week four was was pretty entertaining. Week five, this is the week that Red Zone is made for um, because that one o'clock win is going to be bad, and I don't want to have to watch through a bunch of slop. But I don't know. I feel like we're starting to learn a little bit more. Some of the cream is starting to rise. But even still, I remember last year, the Raiders were 6-3 and three after nine games, and that still felt fraudulent. So I think we're still going to have to keep waiting on some uncertain teams to kind of figure some things out, like where the Bengals going to be after nine weeks, where the Panthers going to be at nine weeks. Those are teams I think we still need a little bit more data on, even though we feel confident that they're better than they were the year prior. How exactly good are they? It's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, no, four games is not enough time to make clear determinations, except for on the very ends of the spectrum. Yep. So like the bills are really good and the lions are really bad like we can safely say make those comments after after four weeks but we can't really say like what's up with the browns or like what's up with the football team defense we still need a little bit more time for for those but yeah on the extremes it's pretty clear who's good and who's bad I agree. And of course, follow the show all throughout the season as we analyze every single game and make these determinations, in some cases recklessly early, uh, because it's just better for show content that way, in my opinion. Uh, my positive story for the week, LOL Urban Meyer continues. I'm just going to keep going on with that one uh, because it just is the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you, Urban, for being such a shitbag. Uh, I appreciate it. You make my life so much better by knowing that I'm a better person than you. So any parting thoughts, Dave? Well, you're going to need a new positive story in about two weeks because he's uh he's he's gonna get fired so uh so yes yeah, so you're gonna need a new a new positive story there and then yeah i think that i think that this week so i mentioned this earlier but this week is the week last year where Dak got hurt and i think that this next set of four games is actually where we really learn the most about the teams on the run up to the end of the season the first four games is almost like the the regular season preseason where we're just starting to get a feel for the teams but five through eight and we're going to really start to learn who these teams are and i'm excited to get this started me too uh we will have cleave back whenever he is readily available uh he has taken a front office job with the jets to try to write that ship there after the win so uh you know we will bring back cleave whenever whenever he is available but uh, dave and i are going to keep you as informed as possible and i don't think we lose any entertainment value there that's uh tooting our horns a little bit but uh before we let you out of here check out mattysmedia.com you can find us wherever you find your podcasts of course uh subscribe like rate review all that good stuff it it means a lot it keeps the show growing and keeps the show uh, out there in the universe so uh, make sure you do that remember to hug your loved ones and dave i'll talk to you next week see you Political Football is exclusively owned by Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice and is brought to you by Matty Ice Media. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints of Matty Ice Media.